inside the Shields Gazette. I'm Dominic Skirt, and it's just the two of us today, with Joe Buck joining me to discuss all things Newcastle United. Joe, how are you? I'm not bad, I'm not bad, Dom. Um, shame about the result, but you know, it was coming, it was coming. But uh, no, I'm good, I'm good. Good stuff, and um, it's the first time in a long time, like you say, we've been on the Mouth of the Time podcast talking about the Newcastle defeat, uh, that game at Chelsea, 1-0 loss at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Doesn't tell the full story whatsoever, but Joe, you were at the game, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of them ones where it was just, it was heartbreaking to lose right at the end the way they did. It was, I don't know, like, just when, from being in the wee end, when the goal went in, the Havertz goal, it just felt like an immense sense of pride. And, you know, I felt so proud of the team that they battled for 89 minutes. You know, and really held their own against Chelsea. I don't think we'll get onto it, but I don't think again Martin Dubravka had much to do. Um, and it was just gutting the way it, it the way it ended. Um, we'll come out of the controversies again later, but yeah, it was just I was you know so proud of the team, and yeah, it was just one of them things, one of them games. But the last nine games have shown that they they know how to you know get results, and they've took Chelsea to eighty nine minutes there, and there was no shame in that defeat whatsoever. Yeah, I can't remember a Newcastle side looking so comfortable at Stamford Bridge, probably since 2012 when the, um, the Papa Cissé uh, braced. But even then, limited Chelsea to so little, like you say, Martin Dubravka. I think Kai Havertz's shot after, or his head after 76 minutes was his uh, Chelsea's first shot and target in the game. So, yeah, limited them to, to so little overall. And this is the world in European champions at the end of the day. But... It was an interesting atmosphere, I thought, building up to the game. Um, it's quite a lot of back and forth, even after kickoff, uh, between the two sets of fans. Chelsea, obviously, in a bit of turmoil with the sanctions on their owner, Roman Abramovich. Um, even just trying to get into the ground was a bit of an issue. Um, everyone just seemed a bit on edge. Um, what was your match day experience like, Joe, in the in the way end overall? Yeah, it was. It, it was weird. It was. It felt like. It felt like the Chelsea fans, probably rightly, had nothing to really cheer about at that point. You know, they, they were almost going just almost because they had to. Um, but yeah, it was it was odd. It felt weird because for once as Newcastle, you sort of felt like on top. I don't. It's hard to explain because it is Chelsea at the end of the day. But the, so Newcastle went. We went there thinking we might get a positive result, and that you know the way that the two clubs are right now, one's very much on the up and one's very much uncertain. It was weird, yeah. but there was for me there was no. It was any songs or any chanting was all just football banter. You know what I mean? I hate mm. that word banter, but it was, it was. I don't think there was any malice from any any of the fans. Um, and the same from the Chelsea fans back. I think it was a good, it was a good spirited day. And there was, there was not, there was no like problems, no security problems. Because you're right, it could have, it could have been a, a tetchy day, and there could have stuff could happen. But it was, it was absolutely fine from a away fans perspective. Yeah, I thought it felt almost like the way Newcastle played felt almost like a home game at times. You, you compare it to the Chelsea game earlier in the season where they got beat 3 0. Just use this for his time and time again based on how Newcastle turned things around, but just chalk and cheese to what we saw earlier in the season. But you, you touched on it before that the main talking points you, you wish they weren't, but uh, VAR once again highlighted um, Kai Havertz's elbow. We'll start with that in the first half. Um, Elbow on Dan Byrne. Got away with a yellow card. Um, calls for a red. What were your thoughts on that, Joe, at the time and then having seen the replays back? Yeah, live, I thought it was just a coming together. I think you can tell Havertz catches them, but I, I don't think I thought it was a red. Having seen it after, I, I, personally, I still don't think it's a red. I don't know if that's controversial, but 
I do feel like it, it is a challenge for the ball. I don't feel like Havertz ever looks at Burn. He never swings his arm back. Um, he never intentionally goes to him. The one thing I would say is I think people have brought this up, and I think Dan Byrne brought it up post-match. I think if that is the other way around, there's probably a different decision there if it's, you know, mm. a Dan Byrne header on Havertz. But I would I would be very annoyed if a Newcastle player got red carded for that. So on that basis, I'll say just a yellow for me. Yeah, you've, you've seen them given, certainly seen them given, but I, like someone, Kai Havertz's height, proper get, leaving Dan Byrne with a massive gash on his forehead. And Dan Byrne's got almost a foot on uh, Kai Havertz, um, six foot seven. So he's obviously had to <laughs> have his elbow very high. But I agree with you in the respect that I think a yellow card was the right decision in terms of the referee saw it at the time and gave the yellow card. It wasn't as if um, the referee completely missed it and it, it wasn't a clear and obvious error. Or it wasn't enough of a clear and obvious error for VR to intervene, in my opinion. So I think I don't think we could have had any complaints either way, but I think a yellow, considering the ref saw it and um, gave the yellow card quite early, straight away almost, um, probably a fair decision. But... I think we'll probably have the opposite to say about the um, decision in the second half. The the penalty, Jacob Murphy getting assaulted um, by Trevor Chaloba. Um, he was tripped, pushed, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'd say three fouls, arguably. Um, VAR, just radio silence there. Referee David Cook gave nothing. What did you think of that, Joe? I, I could probably guess, to be honest. But <laughs> well, um, as you say, you know, from the from it was the opposite end of the pitch from the way end. Obviously, you'll, you'll have a better view in the in the press box. But from where we were, it looked like a penalty. But then when he gave a corner, I think everyone thought, "Oh well, he must have he must have got the ball." You know, he must have got a faint touch on the ball. But then looking afterwards, I don't understand how you can give a corner. And then it goes to VAR, and then VAR not say, well, it's not a corner. So it's either got to be a goal kick or a penalty. I know VAR doesn't necessarily involve themselves with a corner or a goal kick sort of mm. debate, but for me, it's they're, they're the options for that. The corner was not the right outcome for that option. And you're right, he's, there's a foul on, the, he pulls his shirt, he trips him at the bottom. There's, I'd say there's three or four fouls in one there. And I just I can't believe it's not being given. And that was a massive moment. It was just inside the second half. That you know that changes the game for Newcastle get a penalty there. Um yeah, but yeah, so what were your thoughts from the press box and how did that sort of fill out in you know in the round news? Well, initially you see a player go down in the box, naturally uh, your reaction is oh potential penalty there. With it being Jacob Murphy, um a player who who can go down quite easily at times, I thought, well, we'll have a look at it back. But I was shocked that there wasn't just one foul in there. There was at least two fouls in there. And VR, like, I've seen a few, few people say this. Uh, the idea of VR is, is a good one. The application of it is shocking, to say the least. I think this was a perfect example of VR needing to intervene and giving Newcastle penalty. And I think the bottled it, really. I think um, it was just really disappointing from a Newcastle's perspective. And... It's you don't want to go into conspiracy theory territory, but you look at the big VAR decisions Newcastle have had against them this season. Chelsea, Manchester City, Ryan Fraser going down for the penalty. Liverpool, Ryan Fraser getting uh, taken out. Leicester, arguably as well. 
three of those teams are the top three teams in the Premier League. And whether there's a bias there, I, I won't get into that. But you can see why Newcastle fans are um, thinking in a certain way when Absolutely. you look at the, these decisions that are going against Newcastle and they're ultimately affecting Newcastle getting results against against big teams. Okay, the Man City one slightly different because they got beat four yeah. 0 but it's. You can see where Newcastle fans are coming from in that regard. You've, Absolutely. You've... I mean, throughout football, you know, big the bigger teams and the bigger grounds get the decisions. You know, you get home decisions and that's fine. But VAR should have been then come in to stop that happening. Um, you know, and but then the one on Sunday, it's then just going down to the referee's decision. And if there's a picture on social media of the referee's position, there's three or four people in his way between hmm. him and the... And I, I don't mind the referee on the last say on it because that's what he's there for but when it's so obviously wrong like that i don't know even if he goes over the monitor and says he doesn't think there's enough for a foul then he can sort of say well fair enough it's his decision but to not even send him over i don't even know how long the video the vr took it didn't flash up on the screen at the top so it didn't no, you know no. it didn't they didn't spend much time on it if any really but um but yeah it's it's just one of the number of vr decisions that have gone against newcastle and it's been yeah, it was it was crazy that one on Sunday. Crazy. Yeah, it was the way it was disregarded. It was probably the the worst part. Like you can understand like things like offside that can be really tight and you can feel hard done by. But a foul when a player is fouled twice in the penalty area and it's not given, it is a bit of uh, pill to swallow. And we probably sound very bitter right now, having <laughs> um, with Kai Havertz popping up to score the the winner in the last minute. Um, some would argue he should have shouldn't have been on the pitch. Me and Joe probably of the same on the same wavelength, thinking he probably um, deserved the yellow card in the end. But before the game, Newcastle made four changes. Um, Eddie Howe switched to a five-four-one formation. The first time Newcastle played five at the back, or started the game playing five at the back since um, Eddie Howe's first game against Brentford. We had Miguel Almiron, Sean Longstaff, Javier Manquillo, and Jamal Lascelles come in, and uh, Joe Willock, John Joe Shelby out uh, with illness, uh, Joe Linton still still out with a, a with a groin problem, Emil Kraft and Ryan Fraser dropped to the bench. Joe, what were your thoughts when you first saw that team and how do you feel um, Eddie Howe and his players sort of applied the, the game plan to that and the new lads coming in? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't shocked to see changes because I think we, we did think with the three games in seven days, this, this would be the game to make the changes. Five at the back was a bit of a shock. Um, because you're right, we haven't played it in a while, and I thought the four-three-three systems worked so well. You know why change it? But to be fair, the the three centre backs, Sherburn and Lascelles, were were fantastic. I think mm. it was you know they didn't get threatened even when Lukaku came on the second half. None of the none of them looked out of you know in danger at any time, and they worked and they had they managed to create some chances on the attack. It wasn't loads, and you know they did rely on set pieces a lot, but. I thought all you know they all seemed well drilled. We all knew that what their roles were, and the the two men out wide. I know we say it all the time at Murphy and Almiron, they must have ran ran themselves into the ground again. From my perspective, it was just constant. So they're mm. all it was it worked well for eighty nine minutes, and even to be fair, even after that, it worked. It was a slight lapse of concentration or getting the wrong side of Kai Havertz, which ended up in the goal, and that can happen. Yeah, it's just the, the quality of um, a ball over the top, Jorginho, I think it was, and um, the control and finish from Havertz is what you get against the top team. So, no 
good goal, in my opinion, from Chelsea's yeah. perspective. Dan Byrne probably won't want to see it again, but like you say, he had an excellent afternoon until that point. But you look at this, the biggest compliment I could give to, to Newcastle and the team on on Sunday, you look at the players missing, really. Alan St. Maximin on the bench, Kieran Trippier, Callum Wilson, Joe, Joe Linton, John Joe Shelby, Ryan Fraser on the bench. These are probably, you couldn't have handpicked like a more a group of players who are more important to Newcastle, yeah. arguably. And none of them started the Chelsea game, yet they came within touching distance of a point. And you'd argue some VR injustice has prevented them getting getting a point or potentially all three. So I think Eddie Howe's shown that it's not just the starting eleven um, anymore. It's, it, it's very much the squad game. We probably had concerns um, maybe a month or two ago that once Newcastle's starting eleven, once a few players went out, um, it started to become a little bit more tricky in terms of who came in and the quality would drop. But would you say that we've seen a bit of strength and depth from Newcastle as a result of that Chelsea display? Yeah, definitely. It's, as you said, it was always a worry that if Wilson St. Maxwell got injured that Newcastle would struggle. But I think it's a credit to Eddie Howe and the work that they do on the training pitch, the whole squad, that that all them players can come in, they can make so many changes. And it didn't feel that you, Newcastle were missing them, really. You know, they all knew, I said, they all knew their roles and they all performed really well. And that gives me a lot of hope going into future games. That it doesn't matter what 11 are picked, that, you mm. know, they're all going to know exactly how they're playing and they're going to be able to perform. Um, yeah, so I was I was very impressed with the uh, with the whole team, every single one of them. And to be fair, it was funny when Dwight Gale came on, I forgot he was on the bench. I forgot, <laughs> when he came on right at the end, he sort of got shoved on just after the goal, him and Fraser. Um, but it was good to see him on the on the bench because I think that he might have a he might have a role to play, especially in some of the later games. Hopefully it doesn't come to anything where we're needing a goal in the last minute. But um but yeah, it was good to see it was good to see the whole squad playing well. Yeah, and then did you have a man of the match? Would you have pick a man of the match from from that game? I think, to be honest, I think the whole it was a very good team performance. I, I do think the three at the back were very good. I think for me, Fabian Cher, but that's just I love Fabian Cher. I love his work on the ball. I love his work off it. I think he's great, and yeah, and I think as we touched on before, there was a slight down burn mistake, but for me, the amount of goals he's probably saved Newcastle in, even in his five mm. or six appearances. You know, one mistake like that, absolutely fine in my book. So, yeah, Fabian Cher for me, but the whole the three at the back definitely deserve a mention. Yeah, Fabian Cher was um, my man of the match as well. If anyone's uh, checked the Shields Gazette uh, player ratings from Sunday, I had Dan Byrne. I had Dan Byrne as man of the match right until the last yeah. minute. I thought he was excellent. Um, really, really didn't put a foot wrong. And then just that last slip, I guess, um, just letting... Kai Havertz peel off him. But Dan Byrne, would you have him in the England team, Joe? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's a stupid question based on how he's playing at the moment. It is. It's one that, well, I, when they need a left-sided centre-back and I don't I don't see many that's better, especially in the last few months. You've Tyrone Mings, I think, sort of played there in the Euros or the beginning of the Euros. Yeah. And, and you've got people like Connor Cody who can also go I can't see anyone being better than Dan Byrne on current form right now. Um, yeah. It's... No, I completely agree, Joe. I think when you look the comparable players, Tyrone Mings, I think Dan Byrne on current form is streets ahead of Tyrone Mings. At the yeah. moment. We saw that the Villa game um, where Newcastle played them last month um, and just 
what you see of um, Villa in recent weeks, to be honest. Tyrone Mings, not to delve too much into his, his form and his performances, but you look and if you're looking at an England international and going, oh, Tyrone Mings is an in England international, why isn't Dan Byrne at the moment? He's 29 now, get him in the team. And um, I don't think you could go far wrong if you're looking for a left-sided centre-back at the moment. Um, so, Gareth, give... Give Dan Byrne a call because um, certainly deserves it. And be nice to have a Geordie back in the England team because it's been a long time since since we've seen one of them, a Geordie who plays for Newcastle United in the England team. It's not since Andy Cavill, I guess, back in uh, 2010, but that was all too fleeting, I guess. But um, hopefully we'll see Dan Byrne in the, in the um, three-line shirt sooner rather than later. But um, as for the Chelsea game... Ends um, nine-game unbeaten run. Newcastle's joint fifth longest in Premier League history. But results elsewhere in the pre at the bottom half of the Premier League, it still leaves the side nine points clear of the relegation zone, up to 14th. Joe, does this Chelsea result or the results elsewhere, nine points clear, uh, 10 games remaining, you're still confident as ever of survival for Newcastle or is there maybe a little bit more of a niggling doubt than there was perhaps on Friday? No, I think, if anything, I'm more confident they're going to survive. Mm. I think that it showed against Chelsea that even if they have to go in to them games at the end of the season against Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, needing something that they, they can get a point, I know they didn't, but, you know, they put in the performance. I think we'll touch on, but I think Everton on Thursday is a huge game. I think if they can mm. win that, that puts them 12 points ahead of Everton now. 12 points with however many games that Everton aren't going to are going to over, overhaul that. So I think if they can win on Thursday, I think that's it done. We can put our feet up and that's, uh, we're going to enjoy the last couple of months of the season. I know. I, I still find it absolutely bizarre that we're talking about this in sort of mid-March, talking about if Newcastle win our next game, we can put our feet up because <laughs> you looked at the situation the way in a few months ago. But it's credit to Eddie Howe and his team. And Eddie Howe's got his... Um, personal accolade as well, winning Manager of the Month. Uh, deserve one for him. Um, you just hope that Manager of the Month curse um, doesn't get hold of him in the upcoming games. Well, it was. did he get it before Sunday's game? If so, then he's yeah, lost he that did, game. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, he's done that. The curse is gone, so we can just focus on it. It's fourth time he's won uh, the Manager of the Month. How your youngest manager in the Premier League to have won it four times. But moving on, Everton, Joe, like you say, it's a huge game. It's probably more important for Everton than it is Newcastle, even though a win for Newcastle would effectively, not mathematically, but effectively secure safety. Yeah, it's it's a crazy turn of events, considering what the game was just last month, which, you know, forget it was early last month, but it was just last month that they came in off the, after the international break, you know, this new signings were in and it was, it was a very tense affair. You know, it was one of the ones where Newcastle had lost that game and then they went 1-0 down. It was a bit of a worry, but from they've never looked back from that game. And even now, without Trippier, who obviously scored the free hit that day, I, I'm so I am confident of a Newcastle win because, as you say, Everton have been in terrible form. They haven't had the man, new manager bounce, um, and getting beat by Wolves at the weekend, they would have highlighted that game. You know, Wolves are doing well, but they would have highlighted that game for three points. If Newcastle can come and get a point or even get three points there, that's Everton in serious, serious trouble. Yeah, Frank Lampard was saying he's looking forward to back-to-back -back games at um, Goodison Park and then the one you play against Wolves, 
get beat in the, the atmosphere after that game. I don't know if you've seen the videos, Joe, um, just seemed toxic. And there's it, a real chance that it could turn nasty if, say, Newcastle were to really put the foot on the gas on a Thursday evening. Yeah, we've we've all you know we've been in St James's Park when it's turned really you know yeah. you know how that much is and Everton's probably the same as St James's Park so that'll be if they can get in early if they can get an early goal you're right I think that crowd might turn and you might you know players will go in their shells you don't want to you don't a you don't want to be playing Newcastle right now and B you certainly don't want to be playing Newcastle when your crowd have turned against you so I think everything's looking positive for Thursday um, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it yeah Everton I think there's a bit of an air of the Newcastle squad in 08 or 09 that went down. There's a lot of players on, on a lot of money, a lot of internationals, probably players who think they're too good to go down, or prima donnas, um, you could say as well. Um, do you think that's that's a fair comparison, Everton in, in that Newcastle team? Definitely, I think that, absolutely, especially with especially with some of the you know the recent games. I remember well, both relegation seasons really. Um that there was just games where you think, oh, we'll win here, and then you didn't. And then you could see the players weren't really fighting for the shirt. You know, they were happy to take the wage and go off. If you remember in the last relegation season, it was the Everton game where Jamal Sells came off and I think he said very some few unsavoury things about his teammates, you know, mm. stuff like they don't care. And I think that's probably creeping in at Everton. Um, I think they'll probably just have enough to survive based on the fact that I think there is a poor bottom three. But yeah, it'll be... It'll be really interesting to see what happens at Everton, especially when you guys will get the win on Thursday. Yeah, it's just goal difference, keeping them out of the bottom three at the moment, Everton. They're in shocking form, the worst form of any team in the Premier League in the last 20 games. Um, I had a decent start to the season under Rafa Benitez, but it just capitulated since then. And it's, like I say, they've got a few games in hand. I think they might just have enough. There is quality in, in that squad, but it's just where it's, where they're going to get the results because you look at their running Joe I don't know if you've seen it but there's some tough tough games in that yeah there uh, is some, I wouldn't want I would put it this way I would not want to be an Everton fan right now I think that out of the I think if you say Norwich and Watford I mean obviously no Watford got the win but if we sort of take them two then between Burnley I think it's probably between Burnley Leeds and Everton I would the least team I would like to sport right now is Evan because I think Burnley always find some sort of way. They might fall, but they always find a way. And Leeds with that win at the weekend, you know, they seem to have a bit of a new manager bounce. So yeah, it'll be be very interesting. Yeah, they lack that sort of relegation scrap now, don't they, a little yeah. bit. Um whether they go down or not remains to be seen, but certainly a, a season to forget for Everton. And if they do go down, could be in serious trouble because of the, the sort of financial implications and the lack of um relegation release clauses and things like that they, they have not prepared to be in this situation and it could get messy but we'll, we'll see what happens again um, a win for them against Newcastle on Thursday could potentially kickstart their season but Newcastle certainly even though they got beat on Sunday have the momentum uh, behind them and Joe would you make any any changes uh, for the Everton game potentially with John Joe Shelby Joe Willick uh, Joe Linton potentially back involved in Alan St. Maximum back for it as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go back to the the four three three um and probably just bring all them players back in, the ones that missed, if they're fit enough. It's one of the ones where we've got was it sixteen days after this till the next game. Yeah. So if you have to if you you know, there's no point risking players really. Um and that's the luxury of you know, the last the run that they've had that the this game is relatively pressure free. So I would go back to that system, I would 
play the strongest team possible, but also not risk it if Joe, you know, Joe Willett, John Joe Shelby aren't 100%. Sean Longstaff and Bruno will do a superb job in there like they did at the weekend. Joe mm-hmm. Linton again. He, it was mad that he didn't seem a big miss either in the Southampton game or the Chelsea game because I thought he would be a really big miss, but it didn't appear that way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I am confident that whichever team play, we'll be able, we'll have enough to get the win, but I would definitely be going back the 4 3 3 and just trying trying to play the best team possible without taking any risks on fitness. Yeah, that midfield one's an interesting one. I thought, personally thought uh, Newcastle did miss Joe Linton early on in, in, in Southampton, but certainly not in the second half. I thought Bruno really came into his own and, and John Joe Shelby um, was a lot better as well, put a really good ball in there for Chris Woods. Uh, Equalised in the first half at Southampton and then at Chelsea, I thought Bruno and Sean Longstaff were both both excellent. Um, considering they'd never played together before, it was a late late change um, in the day. But we'll see see what team Eddie Howe goes with. Uh, Newcastle back in training today. They'll train tomorrow and then uh, travel down to Everton on Thursday. We'll have all the build up coverage uh, to come over at the Shields Gazette, and you can. Stay up to date by following uh, Joe, myself, Dom Skur, or our other writer, Miles Starforth, as well. On Twitter, you can also subscribe to the Shields Gazette for unlimited ad access to all of our Newcastle coverage. Just head over to shieldsgazette.com forward slash subscriptions for more information on that. But for now, Joe, it's been a pleasure, as always. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you can all join us next time on the Mouth of the Time podcast. (laughs) 